The Bible reading today is from Matthew 7, uh, verses 1 to 6, and it can be found on page 971 of the Church Bibles. 971. And you can find it at home, too. Matthew 7, verses 1 to 6. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Morning, everyone. Uh, Morning if you're watching online as well. My name is Nathan. It's good to be here this morning. I'm going to pray and we're going to get stuck into it together. Let me pray. Father God, what a beautiful day you've given us this morning. Beautiful day. And yet there is no more important place for us to be than right here sitting under your word. Pray, Lord, that you might feed us well this morning. Amen. Amen. Uh, Last week, in Scott's sermon, he asked us, if you could be any animal, what would you want to be? Now, he said the snowy owl, but of course, the correct answer is the slow loris. The slow loris. Now, it might look cute, but that right there is the world's most venomous mammal. No one messes with the slow loris. Today, I've got a different question for us, a different kind of get-to-know-you question. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? What did you want to be when you grew up? Was it a firefighter? Was it an astronaut? Was it a doctor? Last time I asked my four-year-old, he said he wanted to drive garbage trucks. (laughs) He's a dreamer, that lad. In my younger years, at one point, I wanted to be a movie critic. A movie critic. Sounded like the best deal, right? Not only did you get to watch movies, as many movies as you wanted for free, but they actually paid you to do it. What's not to love about that? These days, though, I'm a little older, I'm a little wiser. I'm not quite so sure. I'm not sure it's actually all chock tops and overpriced popcorn. Because it basically sentences you to never be, never be again able to just enjoy a movie, right? Because now movies are your work. And for me, one of the things I love most about seeing a great film is the way that you're just able to switch off and lose yourself in the story. But of course, movie critics can't really do that because they're on the clock. They're they're not getting paid to just watch the film. They're getting paid to evaluate it, to critique it, to to pick it apart, to find all the faults. And it's it's not like you can just pick and choose the films that you want to watch either, right? You've got to watch movies like Einbow, Some direct-to-streaming animated film about an Amazon princess and her pet armadillo. That's like, you really couldn't pay me enough to watch all 84 minutes of Einbow. No thanks. Today, Jesus is talking to his disciples, to people like us, who approach life 
like a film critic approaches a movie. People who jump to make judgments about others, who are quick to dish out the critique and pick others apart. That kind of behaviour, Jesus says, is unbecoming for citizens of his kingdom. We are fast approaching the end of our series in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a sermon that contains almost all of the most famous statements that Jesus ever said. It's quite incredible. But I think the opening verse of chapter 7, as Andrew suggested, is perhaps the most well-known of all the things Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Judge not, lest ye be judged. If you were to go out right now and just to stop a few people, the average person walking on the Corso, if they knew anything about Jesus at all, and you asked them to quote something he might have said, chances are they might quote this one. People love this sentiment. They love it, don't they? And you can kind of understand why, because this verse is, is really the verse for our age of expressive individualism. We live in a time where society's highest ideals revolve around embracing life whatever way feels most truthful, whatever way feels most authentic to you, right? This is the, the age of you do you. And so who are you to judge me? Didn't Jesus say so himself? Judge not lest ye be judged. This verse it matches the spirit of our age perfectly. Or so it would seem. Or so it would seem. Because is this what Jesus is really saying? That we should just kind of suspend all our critical thinking and discernment? That everyone should really just be allowed to do whatever they want and no one can tell them otherwise? Is that what he's saying? Of course he isn't. Of course he isn't. And actually, you only have to jump forward five verses on from this first one in order to prove that point. In our passage this morning, the last verse, chapter, uh, verse 6, Jesus warns his disciples, we see, not to give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Now, he's talking about not persisting in sharing the gospel with those who are persistently hostile and antagonistic towards it. Leave it be. Don't feed the dogs. Don't play with the pigs, Jesus warns. Of course, we can't heed that warning without the wise and careful use of our discernment, can we? Kind of impossible. And, and that actually goes for the whole Sermon on the Mount, in fact. Persistently and repeatedly we've seen Jesus call on us to live as citizens of his kingdom, as different and distinct, as salt and light, right? Almost every verse in the Sermon on the Mount calls us to that task in one way or another, and yet how are we to do that without the use of our critical thinking and judgment? Like we can't. And so when Jesus says here, do not judge, he's not saying do not think. I really like the way that John Stott puts it when he says, this is not a requirement to be blind, as in to turn a blind eye, but rather it's a plea to be generous, generous without judgment. So what Jesus is really saying is, don't be judgy. Don't be judgy. Judgy, of course, is the technical term. Actually, it's not really a word, but we all know what it means, don't we? We all know what it looks and sounds like. We all know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of someone that's being judgy. Judgy. 
It's people who live their lives like a film critic watches a movie. They look at everything with a critical eye. They seek out faults in others. They enjoy picking people apart. I'm sure we've all encountered people who are like that some of the time, or perhaps most of the time, and maybe even as I've even just started mentioning it and, and describing it to you now, maybe someone's popped into your head and you thought, yeah, that's them. The real question is, was that person you that popped into your head? Has anyone been sitting here thinking, yeah, actually, I'm a bit like that? You see, I doubt it. I doubt it. Because one of the things about being judgy is that you're unlikely to recognize it in yourself. I mean, how ironic is that? The quicker you are to judge others, the slower you'll be to judge yourself. That's what makes judgmentalism a real close cousin to the sin of pride. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he, he dedicates an entire chapter to the problem of pride, of which he says this, There is no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves than pride. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. If you, are think, if you think you are not conceited, he says, it means you are very conceited indeed. I think you could basically say the same thing about being judgy. If this is your struggle, you will be hard-pressed to identify it in yourself. That's part of what Jesus is getting at when he describes a person walking around oblivious to this massive telegraph pole sticking out of their eyes. Like, by default, we struggle to see this in ourselves. My boys love reading a magazine called K-Zone. K-Zone. Every month, it'll have this highly scientific personality quiz inside of it. You know, to help you work out things like, which Minions movie character are you? Asking the big questions. But given how tricky it can be to spot our tendency to be judgy, I thought I might actually run us through a, a little quiz of our own. Ten questions. You can keep score in your heads. You don't have to share it with anyone else. But give yourself a tick for every yes you can answer to these ten questions. Ready? Do you ever go looking to find fault in others? When you do... Does it give you a sense of relief or, or satisfaction? Do you feel better about yourself? When you're missing details, especially about someone else's motives, do you usually assume the worst? Number four, when you're catching up with someone, do you find yourself talking more about other people, sharing their news, than you do talking about yourself? When you pass judgment on someone else, do you tend to give yourself the benefit of the doubt instead of the person that you're judging? Number six, are you more fluent in the language of criticism than you are in the language of encouragement? Number seven, do you make a big deal out of small issues and then refuse to move on until everything is the way you think it needs to be? Do you ever find yourself thinking and talking about other people's mistakes or failures with a certain kind of pleasure 
or glee. Guess what this person did? Number nine, do you place a lot of weight on winning arguments and being in the right and then find it really hard to admit or acknowledge when you're not? And lastly, number 10, do you ever try justifying your own behaviour by comparing it to the worst behaviour in others? How many ticks did you get? Add them up. Congratulations, you're judgy. Notice I didn't say how many ticks you needed to have because the truth is we're all judgy. We're all judgy to some degree. That's why Jesus doesn't say, if you judge others, cut it out. He says, do not judge. Don't be judgy. He's assuming that we are. He's assuming that we will be. And of course, some of us will struggle with this more than others. That's always the way of it, isn't it? We, we, all, we all struggle in different ways with different things, but surely we all struggle in this area in some way, shape, or form at one time or another. This is part of our default setting, folks. So there re this is, really is a word for all of us, I think, and perhaps especially for those who don't think it's for them. What is the way forward? Well, we're going to take a closer look at what Jesus is saying here to us. And for the rest of our time, we're actually going to just work through three key tips that I think should help us in how we approach this whole area. The first one is this. Confess your sins instead of other people's. Confess your sins instead of other people's. In verses 3 to 5, Jesus uses the ridiculous illustration of someone with a whopping great log stuck in their eye. Famous picture that he paints. And his point is to say this, examine the state of your own eyes before you go looking into the eyes of others. And it is such a ridiculous image, isn't it? It's kind of hard to imagine what it might be like to have a log in your eye. The closest thing that I can think of is that quirky Scottish sport known as caber tossing. Anyone know caber tossing? Caber tossing basically involves big, burly, kilt-wearing Scots hurling telegraph poles in a field. <laughs> if you can believe it, it looks like that. Who wouldn't want to watch that? <laughs> Maybe it's just my Scottish heritage. But when Jesus uh, tells us to take the log out of our own eye, I picture a cable, cable tosser, right? That is almost what it would be like to have a log stuck in your eye. Ridiculous. And ridiculous is what Jesus is getting at. Because being judgy is ridiculous. When we're more concerned about, uh, concerned about confessing other people's sins than we are about our own, we are being ridiculous. And it's especially ridiculous for citizens of the kingdom. Because we should be the very best at confessing our own sins, shouldn't we? But too often, it seems to me, we're weak when it comes to confession. Not all of us, but many myself included. See, when I pray, confession is often the bit that I forget to include, and even when I remember to include it, it's often the shortest part of my prayers. It's never the longest. Is that similar for you? Friends, that is really not the way that it should be. Or when we're together, say in a midweek growth group or something similar, Confession is rare in those times as well, isn't it? And even when it does happen, 
there's really only two things we're willing to confess to one another. You know what they are, right? Not reading our Bibles enough and not praying enough. Those are like the acceptable things that we're comfortable to confess. I don't really know why that is, because you're basically saying, I don't want to speak or listen to God, which frankly is not acceptable, shouldn't be acceptable to us. That's another topic. So we're comfortable confessing a lack of quiet time, but, but how often do you hear someone admit to being greedy? How often do you hear someone confess that they're struggling with pride or that they're having issues with their anger? We just don't go there much, do we? If at all. Friends, that is not the way that it should be. Earlier this year, the staff read a book together uh, called Lead by Paul Tripp. It's a great book. Uh, He says there's basically no reason for us to be reluctant to confess because, because of what God's done for us in the person and work of Jesus. Christian communities, he says, have been freed to be the most honest communities on earth. He says this, We are lovingly called out of the darkness, out from behind the trees, into the open and the light, not because we don't have things to hide, but because grace means we no longer have to hide them. The one from whom we have hidden is now our Father, and the things we have hid, we hid have been fully atoned for. Friends, there is no reason for us to be guarded towards God, is there? He has withheld nothing from us, despite knowing everything. So why would we withhold anything from him? And our willingness to confess when when we've done the wrong thing, that really should be one of the hallmarks of this community, of our community, shouldn't it? It should be one of the defining distinctives that sets us apart as salt and light in the world, fearlessly transparent. And when we're willing to do that, when we're willing to take a good look at ourselves before we start looking at each other, well, that should really humble us, shouldn't it? And humility is at the the heart of tip number two, which is judge from your knees, not from your throne. Back when I was shooting to become a movie critic, someone gave me uh, Roger Ebert's Your Movie Sucks. It's a great book. Ebert's probably the most famous film critic of the past 40 years, and this is really a collection of of all his most scathing reviews. My favourite was the opening of his review uh, of the 2001 masterpiece, Pearl Harbour. Anyone remember Pearl Harbour? He writes this, Pearl Harbour is a two-hour movie squeezed into three hours about how on December 7, 1941, the Japanese staged a surprise attack on an American love triangle. It has been directed without grace, vision, or originality. It's like brutal. What a legend. But as good as Ebert was, he didn't always get things right. Sometimes his judgment was way off. For instance, he gave The Phantom Menace three and a half stars. Somehow, he added Dead Poet Society to his list of movies to never see, and he referred to Jurassic Park as just another monster movie. It's like, come on, those are all terrible takes. What are you doing, Rog? But you know, it's the same with our judgments as well. Sometimes we botch it. 
How often have you found yourself jumping to judge, assuming that you know everything there is to know about it? Instead of giving someone the benefit of the doubt, you take it for yourself. The problem, of course, is that we never see all the angles, do we? Details are often missing. We can't see what's actually going on in someone's heart. And yet we're often far too keen to make ungracious assumptions about people's motives. That's why we need humility here. We need to remember that we are not God. We can't see everything. We're not sitting on his judgment seat. In fact, we're the ones kneeling in front of his judgment seat right alongside the person that you're judging. That's exactly what Jesus tells us in verse 2. Take a look with me. He says, In the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The truth is that all of us are living in the shadow of God's coming judgment. Everyone. All of us. At the very least, that should humble us. It should humble us. Of course, that doesn't mean we can't use our God-given discernment. It doesn't mean we can't address sinful behavior in others. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, we are called to do that with each other, aren't we? But we never do it from above. We do it from below, from our knees, in humility, as a, as a fellow struggler. And that means instead of rushing to judgment, our discernment, it needs to be slow. It must be slow. Like we need, we need to assume that we're missing some kind of detail, that there's more for us to learn. See, curiosity is an antidote to being judgy. We need to get curious. Before passing judgment, we should be asking questions like, what am I missing here? What must it be like for them? What don't I know yet about this situation? Friends, we need to be more curious. And that takes humility, that takes time, that takes restraint, and it takes us listening well with curiosity. And that is all hard to do because it's always easier to just jump to conclusions, especially when our emotions are involved. You know that, right, don't you? It's always easier to shoot off the angry email or shoot off about someone over a coffee. It's always easier. It's always more satisfying in the moment. But friends, that kind of behavior is graceless. It's ungenerous and it's unbecoming for people who call themselves citizens of God's kingdom. We are not those who sit on the judgment seat. We're the ones on our knees in front of it. Lastly, tip number three, judge to lift up, not to pull down. I've heard uh, today's passage referred to as the art of speck removal. The art of speck removal. I mean, notice how Jesus concludes his eye problem parable. After the plank has been removed, end of verse 5, take a look, he says, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's easy to miss that end part, right? But again, Jesus isn't forbidding all forms of judgment here. He, doesn't, he actually doesn't want us to be walking around with any foreign objects in our eyes, be they logs or planks or even specks. 
And yet we often think that judgment and love are opposed to each other, don't we? I think that's often how our world thinks about it. As if it can really only be one or the other, either to judge or to show love. And while them being opposed can certainly be the case, especially if we're being judgy, in fact I think that's what's happening when we're being judgy, we're gripping hold of judgment instead of love, I actually don't think it has to be that way. And in fact, they shouldn't oppose each other. See, when we help someone come to realise what they've done wrong, a mistake that they might have made, to help them realise how they might have dropped the ball, that's actually an act of sisterly or brotherly love. When we're being judgy, overly critical, picking people apart, we're pulling others down in order to lift ourselves up, right? Because that's the kind of transaction that's happening. If I can pull you down and suddenly I'm higher, that's pride. That's self-love. But the art of speck removal, when we judge generously, when we use wise and careful discernment to help remove someone else's speck, we do that out of love for them, not for ourselves. The famous 4th century preacher, John Christostom, he described this task like this. He says, correct your brother, not as a foe, not as an adversary exacting a penalty, but as a physician, as a physician, a doctor. Isn't that a great way to put it? Because a doctor doesn't find the faults in your body out of spite, do they? Or to make them feel better. They don't diagnose you out of competition or jealousy or with any sense of superiority. They identify your problem out of concern. Out of concern for you, from a desire to see you restored to good health. Imagine if we had that kind of concern for each other's spiritual health. For those that you're sitting next to right now, those you might, might have met for the first time during G'day time, those you're in a growth group with, what would change about the way we judged if we were driven by genuine love instead of our selfish pride? What would change? It'd be revolutionary, right? And what if we were willing to receive correction from others, not as a threat or an attack, but as an act of their loving concern for us. Like you would a doctor who was wanting to help make you well. That'd be revolutionary too, wouldn't it? When Jesus says, do not judge, he's not declaring open season on, on all of us living however we want. He's shooting down those who would insist on installing themselves in, in his judgment seat. Don't be judgy. Concern yourself with confessing your own sins, not other people's. And when you do judge, do it in humility, on your knees, driven by genuine love instead of selfish ambition. I read an article this week with a great summary of basically everything we've been talking about this morning. I want to finish by reading it to you. It should be on the screen as well, but my clicker's not working. Thanks, Dylan. And again. 
Great summary. It says this. When you start to ascend that balcony of superiority, stop on the stairs. Remember who you are. Sinning saint, travelling pilgrim, ongoing work. You have not yet arrived. Only when grace rises like the sun in your heart will the darkness of hypocrisy and fault-finding flee. Well said, hey? We're going to respond with a time of prayer now. Uh, And given the topic for today, we're going to kick it off by praying a prayer of confession, which is going to be the first chance for us to start doing that better. I'm going to hand over to Andy as she leads us in that prayer and some others.